Today we're going to be talking about God's goodness, His love, His grace, and mercy, which really are all interconnected to some extent. Um, and because we're covering four attributes, we're going to be covering them <laughs> rather quickly uh, and brief. And I have the tendency already to uh, talk too much and to uh, not get through all the content. So, so bear with me as we, we go somewhat fast. Um, one uh, uh, kind of comment as well, there are many, many scripture passages uh, I could have listed for the sake of being concise and trying to keep us on track. We're just going to look at one passage per attribute, uh, and then I'll leave y'all to study uh, them afterwards. Just look in your um, uh, glossary in the back of your Bible, and you'll see even just goodness uh, or good and how many hundreds of references there are, so I would encourage y'all to do that. So today, uh, our main idea is God communicates his perfect goodness by generously giving love, grace, and mercy toward all creation and uniquely the elect. So I'll say that again. God communicates his perfect goodness by generously giving love, grace, and mercy toward all creation and uniquely the elect. Now, before we jump into each attribute, uh, I wanted to kind of lay the ground with some foundational truths to help set the stage, A, to speed things up, because uh, again, we're going to be covering each one rather quickly, but also to help us think better about each attribute and the fullness uh, that each one is. So foundational truth A, all of the attributes are as follows. They are all eternal. They are all immutable. They are infinite. And in them, God the doctrine of his deity that we talked about, that Ben talked about two weeks ago, he is self-existing. Uh, he doesn't need any anyone or anything to make him these things. He already is, and he is the fullness thereof. So if you think of love, his love is eternal. His love is immutable. immutable. His love is infinite, uh, and it's of himself. He doesn't need us to be loving. He already is loving. So even just thinking about that, it's like, okay, his love towards me in Christ is eternal. It's never changing. It's infinite. We could talk about that. All, all our lives, but uh, particularly in this class. But So that's why I'm setting the framework of all of these attributes are all those things and would encourage each of us just to spend maybe a morning each week thinking on that reality for each attribute, how uh, each one is uh, those, those various things. Secondly, each attribute extends to some extent to all creation, all man, mankind, and then uniquely and particularly the elect. So we're not going to cover uh, each way, each attribute fulfills all these things, but there are verses to support that, and again, would encourage you to study them in your own time. And so for goodness, for example, he does good to all creation. He also does good to all mankind, but he uniquely and particularly does a unique good to the elect uh, in Christ. And so for each attribute, you can actually see God's goodness or his love towards all of those various uh, aspects. And then lastly, uh, in God's infinite and perfect wisdom, he sovereignly communicates his goodness through love, grace, and mercy to whom he chooses and how he chooses to do so. Uh, it's a mystery to us all. When God says, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, um, and I will not show mercy uh, 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 to, to those who I will not. Um, that's a mystery, and we, we won't fully comprehend that, especially in this life. And so we have to trust that He's good, that he's sovereign, and that in his infinite wisdom, as he disperses his good, as he disperses his love, his grace, and mercy, he's doing so in a way that actually uh, is, is in line with his character, and so we can trust him. So even when we don't understand, and even when it causes us to doubt, we can go back to the fact that he is good, that he is infinitely wise, and that his sovereign plan is going to work all things out for his glory and for the good of those who love him. So those foundational truths. Zach, I thought you did a good job last week, and I'm going to uh, um, copycat you. I'll go through each attribute, and then we'll, we'll take questions, okay? So uh, after we talk about uh, goodness, ask questions. So hold your questions until that point, uh, and then we'll do that for, for each of the four attributes, if that sounds. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's dive in. Um, so first attribute, goodness, defined this way. It's the sum of all his perfection of every eternal, infinite attribute of which he is the fount and by which every created thing must desire and honor fully. So if you think about goodness, it's really, it is the sum of all of his perfection. 
that he is loving, that he is gracious, that he's just, that he's holy. All of these things work together to display his goodness. It's the sum of all his perfection. So thinking of every eternal, infinite attribute of which he is the fount, which he is the source of. So he's the source of all these things, just as he is the source of goodness. He is good and he does good. Keyword, he is good. He is the fount of all goodness. And his goodness necessitates that every created thing must desire him because his goodness is that which makes him utterly beautiful. So we should desire him and we must honor him through obedience and trust in him. So uh, our our anchor text is going to be Psalm 84. So if everybody wants to turn there, Psalm 84, and then we're going to read through it. So if someone can uh, volunteer to read Psalm 84, that would be great. Otherwise, I will call on someone. So I'll give you all a sec. All right, yeah, that'd be great. So Psalm 84. Thanks. So for goodness, we're going to look at his infinite perfection and beauty, that he is the fount and source of all goodness, that his goodness is to be chiefly desired and honored, and then we're going to think about how do we respond to that. So firstly, his infinite perfection and beauty. Really, goodness, again, is the sum of all his attributes. As Psalm 119.68 says, God is good and does good. God is good and fully good in himself. There is no other being that uh, is good apart from him, and no other being adds to his goodness. He is the fullness thereof. God is perfectly good. And the psalmist's language in 84 proves this. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place. It's better, a better day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. He says, no good thing does he withhold to those who walk uprightly. Only if God were eternally, eternally, immutably, and infinitely good would those statements be true. That his dwelling place is lovely, that we would want to be with him forever, that when we are in his courts, we can't help but sing his praise. We can't help but sing for joy the glory that is befitting to him. So the psalmist's language proves God's infinite beauty and his goodness. It's his goodness is that, what, is that which makes him beautiful and deserving of being worshipped and desired above all else. We also see that his goodness is pure. It's unadulterated good, goodness. There is no evil in him or can be near him. This is all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 92, 15, there is no unrighteousness in him. So part of his goodness is that He is not evil. Evil cannot dwell in him. There is no unrighteousness in him. So his goodness is pure. His perfection is pure. In the psalm here in Psalm 84, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's a a chasm. You either dwell with God in his goodness, in his perfection, or there is the tents of wickedness. God is not, he does not dwell with evil. There is no evil in him. His goodness is pure and unadulterated. And how, how unlike us <laughs> is God in his goodness? We are by nature children of wrath, only do, doing evil, pursuing evil. We'll talk about this more when we, when we get into God's grace. Uh, but just think about how God's goodness is so unlike us, that he in himself is good and he is fully good. There is no evil that dwells in him or even uh, near him. And it is, it's beautiful, if you think about it. God's goodness is beautiful. 
we can worship him. We should long to worship him because he, because he is good. Secondly, his goodness, he is the fount and source of all goodness, which means he distributes as he wills when he wills to do so. And it's in his sovereign power to choose how he actually distributes his goodness. And we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but from his goodness actually flow love, grace, and mercy. So his goodness is the fount for expressing his goodness through love, grace, and mercy. In the psalm, it says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He doesn't withhold good. He actually does good to his creation, to all mankind, as well as to the elect. I think this is good uh, for us to think about. We are not the source. He is, he is the source. So any good thing that comes to us should rightly produce praise in him, back to him, because he is the source. It's easy for me when, when things seem to be going well to either attribute them to myself uh, and forget that God was actually the source of that goodness. And so when, when God actually does good, and he always does good to us, we need to be continually rem- remembering that fact and praising him uh, fully for that. As one of the, <laughs> side note, when I was reading all of the 1600s Reformed authors on these, these topics, one, I, I was very humbled because I didn't understand most of the words, uh, but they were very helpful over time. I had to reread them probably three times. But one of them said this, there would not be communicable goods unless there were an incommunicable, incommunicable good. So what he's saying is there are, because, because he is an incommunicable good, he is good fully he then distributes goodness and communicates that to his creation. He does good and gives good gifts. Think about Genesis. After he made things, he called it good and very good. When God creates, it's good. And he does good in his creating. Um, Matthew 7, Jesus says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, and we could talk a lot about how much more that really is. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is not a stingy, ungenerous judge. He is a judge, but he is not only a judge who doesn't like to hear from his children and also respond when his children ask him for things. He loves to give good gifts to his kids for his glory so that they might know that he is the author and source of all goodness and also praise him rightly for it. And when we actually praise him rightly for it, that's when we're actually satisfied uh, in him. He distributes uh, goodness as he wills and as he chooses. In the psalm, it says, to those who walk uprightly. And ultimately, this highlights our need for a Savior, one who actually did walk uprightly. And for those who are found in him, uh, he, he doesn't withhold any good thing. Romans 8. And then lastly, we can only communicate that which he communicates through us. So any good that God decides to do through us, uh, even in Ephesians 2, 10, the works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in, that was designed by him and empowered by him. And so we need to remember that fact, one, to humbly ask for his help (laughs) to do the things that which he wills us to do good uh, to others, as well as remember that we are not the source. So it's not in our strength. Uh, it doesn't have to, it can't be in our strength. Uh, and when we, if, we, if we are operating our strength, it's easy for us to actually not enjoy him and recognize uh, his power in that. And so we can only communicate goodness, that which he communicates through us. And then lastly, and I'm already running over, so this is good. His goodness is that which makes him desirable, to be sought and honored in every way. Just look at the Psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul longs for you, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. My, my heart sings for joy. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So his goodness is beautiful. Because it's beautiful, we, we, we praise him for it. We, we should desire him. And not only desire him, we should honor him. And we should honor him through, through obedience. So that brings us to our response. What is our response to God's infinite, unchanging, perfect goodness? Firstly, give God the glory due his name by delighting in him above all else. Recognize that there is nothing more satisfying than delighting in God. That is what your soul was made for. And so put aside everything else that tempts you towards delighting in above God and delight in God alone. Secondly, give God the glory due his name by obeying his good commands. Because he's good, when he communicates a command to us, 
that command is there thereby good. It's easy for us to distrust, like, God, how is this command good? How is this right and true? And how is this going to produce glory for you and goodness uh, for us? But because he's good and when he gives a command, we can trust that they are good. And so we should respond by obedient. And the psalmist even says, blessed, happy is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. And then lastly, trust God because he's always doing good to those who are in Christ. So it's so easy, myself included, (laughs) all of us will doubt God's goodness at various points in various situations to varying degrees. And the enemy wants to attack God's goodness. He wants to plant lies and uh, temptations to make us believe that he's not good as various situations arise in our li- in our lives. Sharnak, is that how you pronounce it, Ben? He said this, the wounds of an almighty God in Christ for us are a greater testimony of goodness than if we had all the other riches of heaven and earth. And I think that's just a helpful way for us to just step back and remember that even when seems as though evil is winning and situations are hard and it doesn't seem that God is giving good uh, things to to us, that we can look back to the cross and see a suffering Savior who entered into this mess that ultimately our rebellion to him caused and see that that was his great love poured out for us. That was his goodness displayed fully uh, to save his children by taking pain and suffering upon himself. And so when we, and this is, this is not a simple pat answer. So this is, <laughs> we all need to counsel one another with the word when we're in these situations doubting God's goodness. But step one, look back to Jesus, your suffering savior who showed his great love and showed God's goodness by, by laying down his life. So that is God's goodness in 12 minutes and probably not very well described, <laughs> but <laughs> the, Lord is, the Lord is good despite my communication of his good. Any thoughts or questions? Yep. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on the, the, the last point here, which is something that I was thinking about through, throughout this, which is, I think in at least my regular day-to-day conversation, I don't know if others agree with this, but my sense is the connotations around goodness are kind of like, it's loving, it's kind, it's things like that, and it tends to go in a different direction than judgment, justice, things that seem like maybe expressions of God's perfections when we think about them more abstractly, but in the moment, it doesn't seem, this doesn't seem good, it doesn't seem like um, mm-hmm. the kind of the warm fuzzies version of goodness, which yeah. is the, I think our natural cultural connotation. Um, so, um, I guess two versions of this. One is, one would be the, the kind of some of the culture would say that judgment, justice, that's opposed to love and goodness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a pretty easy one to rebut. But maybe another version is, are these, um, should we, are we just thinking about goodness wrong? Like maybe um, the idea of goodness as being warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I mean, so first, great observation. Uh, two, I'll try to answer uh, as best as I can. I think Zach's class last week touched on the, yeah. the justice of God in a way that can help us you know, answer that question as well. And that's why when we think about goodness as the sum of all his perfected attributes, that's when we're holding intention. There is the goodness which he cr- communicates through love, grace, and mercy, which also, as we'll see, distinguishes between <laughs> he actually gives love, grace, and mercy to sinners who are undeserving of that. But it's always held in, in, uh, on equilibrium with his, his justice and his holiness. So he actually would not be good if he didn't punish evil. And so I think we, when we're talking about God's goodness, it's right to point out that it's not just this warm, fuzzy feeling that our culture wants it to be, but it's actually the sum of his, his perfection. And then we talk about all of the various attributes that make up our, our triune God. And we'll even talk about this in love, but the world wants to presuppose upon God our experience of love and then and then say well God is like this because of the way we experience love rather it's no no God is love and what his word says about what love is is actually what we need to adhere to so yeah it's good good question anything else one more that's what we have time for yeah so what happens I guess or like how do you reconcile 
the, the last one points to his goodness is be chiefly desired and honored. That is the one that kind of requires some sort of like desire, action, whatever on our part as people. Mm -hmm. So what happens, because we are imperfect and sinful, when we as Christians don't desire that? Yeah, that's a great question. So what happens... Yeah, because he is to be desired, uh, what happens when we as Christians aren't desiring? Well, I'd say um, when God saves sinners, uh, he justifies them, he redeems them through the blood of Christ, he, he atones for their sins, we are forgiven, we stand forgiven, but then there is a process of sanctification that has nothing to do with our security in salvation, but the Spirit over time conforms us to the image of Christ. Um, and that comes with many, many ups and downs. And that doesn't mean we, that gives us complacency in giving into sin, but it does mean that we can turn to God when we sin, when we are not desiring, and ask Him for help. And He loves to give mercy. When we talk about mercy, it's God's grace towards the miserable. <laughs> and it, when you, like each, each day for all of us is filled with various types of misery, and God's disposition is not to look on, him with, look on us with judgment, it's actually to move towards us and extend grace towards us. And so when we are not desiring him, when we're not trusting him, God beckons us to turn back to him. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the, process, the, the walk of the Christian life is to turn in each and every moment. It's not to, hey, you, once you're saved, you have to be perfect. If you're not perfect, therefore you're not a Christian. No, it's God saves us, redeems us, justifies us, and then his spirit conforms us to the image of Christ by turning, 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 and trusting in his, in his finished work. And that's easier said than done. So, <laughs> but I think you bring up a good point. We should pray that God would help us desire him above all else. That, has to, that should be a daily prayer for all of us. All right, let's go on to love. So God's goodness is the fount by which he then communicates his love, uh, grace, and mercy. So love is God's goodness expressed with an aim for a union or fellowship. I like both those words, <laughs> so I couldn't, I couldn't choose and pick one. Uh, doing good to and then delighting in. So God's goodness is uh, expressed with an aim for union, fellowship, doing good to, and delighting in. Let's all turn to 1 John 4. This will be our anchor text for this attribute. Can someone read 1 John 4, 7 through 11? Thanks. First John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also want to love one another. Great, thank you. I was reading on to 12. I don't know why. <laughs> no, 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 you're not supposed to. I was just naturally reading there. Okay, so we're, we're, it is, it is. We're going to look at uh, point A, God is love, not love is God. And then we're going to look at the types of love. So there's three types of love, which we're going uh, to look at. So firstly, God is love. Again, as I said in the point one, we need to go to God and go to his word to get the definition of love, to understand what love is. We, we, we should not bring our own experiential element of love or what culture says love is and then presuppose that on God. And this is true for everything in the Christian life. We, we must start with God himself as he reveals himself in his word. And so that takes discipline, and that takes, as Romans 12 says, a renewing of our mind. And so we have to be diligently renewing our minds in his word so we can understand this is what culture and Satan is telling us, but this is actually what God's word says. And so it's just a good reminder for that. Well, God is love because he is Trinity. God is love because he is Trinity. The Father, Son, and Spirit have loved one another perfectly for all eternity. And this shared love has been satisfying, completely satisfying in and of themselves. Um, he is a community of love, so to speak. And so because God is Trinity, because he's actually shared, the three persons have shared and given love to one another, when God creates, it is not out of a need to then be loved or to prove himself as loving. 
It is simply out of an overflow of the love that the Father, Son, and Spirit have shared for all eternity that then they want to invite us into. That's that aim for fellowship and union. So because God is Trinity, He is love. And this is, as you think about engaging folks in evangelism, that is a great starting point in the fact that, not that it's easy to explain the Trinity, but when you're talking to a, a Muslim, for instance, Allah creates out of a, of a need to show his power, of a need to, to actually be loved, out of a need for all these various things because he's a single person God. But because God is three persons in one, co-equal, co-eternal, God creates out of this overflow of love that he desires to share with us. And that's a totally different, actually joyful perspective. And those are two, <laughs> those are two uh, ends of the opposite uh, spectrum. Secondly, God's love is grounded in his truth, in his holiness, in his justice. It's defined and specific. It does not change like culture thinks. Love is not love. God himself and his word define what love is. Even in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, kind. It doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. So God's love, love and who God is, being God, God is loving, um, is defined by truth, and his truth is uh, in his word. Okay, let's go into types of love. So there are three types of love, um, and it's there's some old words that I probably won't even pronounce right, but then I tried to <laughs> put them in a, in a modern term that was helpful for me. So we have the love of benevolence or generosity. We have the love of be, uh, beneficence. How do you say that? Beneficence. Beneficence. There we go. Uh, which is really doing, uh, it's love in action, and then the love of complacency, which is pleasure or delight in. So firstly, love of benevolence or his generosity. This is God willing good to the create, uh, willing good to the created from eternity past. So this is God in eternity choosing to love whomever he chooses in the way that he chooses from eternity. Um, so we're going to look at Ephesians 1 in a minute, but it says he chose you before the foundations of the world. So before we were created, he chose whom he was going to save. He chose the elect. And he, he chose with an aim towards fellowship, with an aim towards union of uniting us to Christ and being in himself. Um, this speaks to God's election, that God sovereignly chooses some sinners to save by his grace which speaks to his infinite wisdom. I don't understand how he does it. Sometimes I, I'm like, how does this all work? And it makes me uneasy. But I got to rest back in the fact that God is infinitely wise. Therefore, he chooses good and his love is perfect. Speaks to his sovereign choice, that he's sovereign to do so. If he elected us before the foundations of the world, that means he's sovereignly the one who accomplishes salvation. And it speaks to his power. God chooses to share the same love that he has had in himself for all eternity and that in and of itself is incredible and he does that from eternity with an aim towards doing which brings us to the love of doing or love in action point two god actually doing good to the creature or to us according to his goodwill and that's in time so god in time doing good to us ultimately in christ and this speaks to redemption and salvation in christ alone in our passage, in this is love, not that we have loved God, so there was nothing good in us that he saw uh, before the foundations of the world. Uh, he actually saw our rebellion, uh, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God, in the person of Jesus, entered time and space to redeem and bring salvation for all whom he would call, and by the Spirit, he would open our eyes to put faith uh, in Christ and the finished work of Christ. So God knew from eternity past our rebellion and sin against him, our lack of love for him, yet he sovereignly elected to save some, and he entered in, and he actually did that good that he had planned from eternity past in time, even now as he is still saving sinners, which is, is a joy to even contemplate. So God does good to the elect by adopting us and loving us in Christ. And then lastly, love of complacency, and you could see the order of these, eternity, time, and then for those who are in Christ, the love of complacency, which is really the love of pleasure or delight. This is God delighting and taking pleasure in the worthiness of the beloved. So you even think of, uh, you know, I've got little kids. There's nothing really that they do that's of worth per se to me 
other than being themselves and I have a delight in them and I desire to do good to them and I and I just delight in them being with me and being my kids that's similar to how God relates to those who are in Christ our pastor says being born of God into Christ Colossians speaks of us being united to him we're hidden with Christ in God and when for those who are hidden with Christ in God when God takes pleasure or delight in it's because of the worthiness of Jesus not the worthiness of us there was nothing worthy of us by which he saved us it was only through the worthiness of Jesus and so when God takes delight in us it's because he's taking delight in his son that he's had for all eternity and in some mysterious way we get to share in that and so God takes pleasure and delight in those who are his that is a it's a mind-blowing thing to think about that God takes pleasure or delight in us because we are hidden with Christ and God clothed in his righteousness forgiven justified secured in his grace how is our love different? Just real, uh, I don't have time to, to dive into this, but even in this passage, we can only love because he first loved us. So again, it's this flowing. God, God loves us, and because of his love shown to us through Christ, he can produce love in us towards others. Not in the same way. We can't save anyone, we can't, but we can proclaim his love, uh, his love that saves to those who are, he sovereignly puts us around. So our response, just twofold. Number one, no one rejoice in this love. Think about God planning from eternity past to love us, to express his goodness to us, and then actually accomplishing that through Jesus. And because he accomplished it through Jesus, that he takes delight and pleasure in us because of the worthiness of Jesus. So know and rejoice in this love each day. The steadfast love of the psalm, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. We can proclaim that day in and day out. Secondly, we are called to love one another then and just listen to the evening service series on all the love one another, or all the one another commands that's how we actually love one another we don't have time to get into that and then lastly spread his love through the proclamation of the gospel this is about i don't want to make this sound cheesy but like ultimately like we are proclaiming god's love which he accomplished through christ to save sinners so that god can be united with with us and so that is what we're, pro- we're proclaiming, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave us. So we get, to, we get to proclaim the love of God. And we get to talk about his justice and wrath and mercy, and that only ex- exacerbates his goodness, which, as we said, is the sum of all his perfection. So no one rejoice in it, love one another, and proclaim his love. We probably have time for one question. I'm sorry. But this is Ben Robbins' fault for giving me four attributes. So, <laughs> Micah. Yeah, and that's why I tried, and probably not well at the start with the foundational truths of like, in all of these attributes, actually, God does love all creation. He loves his creation. He shows his love to creation. He shows his love to all mankind. The fact that sinners are still alive is, a, is an act of his love, that he doesn't just condemn them right off the bat and, and, and show, spread, or, yeah, put his wrath on them. And so, but we focused on uniquely what he does to the elect, A, for the sake of time, uh, but because it is... It is the most glorious of the ways that he actually shows shows his love. So study it on your own, and we can talk about it over meals with one another, about how he shows his love through uh, to all these other, in all these other ways. I hope that was an okay answer. <laughs> okay, grace. Grace. Love where it is not owed or deserved. So God's goodness, he expresses it through love through grace and so grace is love god expressing his love where it is not owed or deserved let's all turn to ephesians 1 3 through 14 ephesians 1 we really should go through two but for the sake of time we're not going to can someone read ephesians 1 3 through 14 thanks blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In the love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. And even in this passage, you could see what we just talked about ringing true and, and shining brightly of, of God choosing from eternity past and expressing his, his love for us uh, and, and ultimately his goodness. Um, but we're going to talk about grace, which is love where it is not owed or deserved, which brings us to point A. Uh, because it is not owed or deserved, we should talk about the unworthiness of sinners. And so let's just reflect briefly on the unworthiness of sinners, because as we f- reflect on that, his grace extended towards unworthy sinners actually displays itself all the more magnificent and all the more amazing as we reflect on that. Um, So how does the Bible describe our total depravity or our total unworthiness before God in this passage and in other passages that that you all know? How How does the Bible describe our unworthiness? Yeah, that's good. What else? Just shout it out. Yeah, yeah sorry. I can say, although we are not as bad as we could possibly be, and that's a fact of God's grace toward us, toward all of creation, we are completely corrupt in every part of our lives, in every part of our being, to the point where Romans 8 can say, the mind that's set on the flesh, or who doesn't believe in God, believe in Jesus is hostile toward God mm. can't please him actually refuses to yeah yeah that's good yeah we're hostile towards God we can't please him uh, we're children of wrath <laughs> children of the devil we hate we hate God we're haters of God we love our sin more than we hate God we give glory pretty much to everything but <laughs> giving glory to the one whom it is it is owed and ultimately I think it's even helpful to think about this the culmination of this hatred towards God, this, uh, this love of everything but Him, is ultimately in killing God Himself in the person of Jesus. So they go all, like, humanity killed God in, in time. He, they, we, we killed Jesus. And ultimately, as the hymn says, it was our sin that put Him there. And so that, that is the expression of our hatred, of our unworthiness towards God. And that leaves us dead in our sin dead in our trespasses, totally incapable of, of loving him, totally incapable of uh, being united to him or uh, deserving of any sort of his goodness, of his love, of his grace, and we'll get to it, but his mercy. And so as we reflect on how unworthy we are, this sets the stage for God's amazing grace expressed in his calling grace and then his conforming grace. And I tried to make it two C's, but there's probably better words to describe that, but let's talk about calling grace. So as we reflect on God's calling grace, again, the backdrop is our unworthiness. And our other unworthiness highlights the utter amazement and glory of God's grace. So when we speak of God's calling grace, we're speaking of his electing, his redeeming, and his justifying grace. So electing, even in this passage, before the foundations of the world. God in eternity past, in love, chose to give grace to unworthy sinners by electing them to be adopted in Christ. And ultimately, he did that by redeeming them through his blood for the forgiveness of sins. God was satisfied in Christ's atoning sacrifice. So he elects, he redeems through the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And for those who trust in him, as the Spirit enables, he justifies, he adopts to himself. One can only be united to Christ if God is, if, if they are justified, in, or justified before God by being in Christ. And so God elects, God redeems, and God justifies through the finished work of Christ alone applied by 
the Spirit. So God's grace redeems sinners, and God's grace also makes sinners more like Jesus. So God's calling grace, which secures our salvation. There's nothing else that needs to be added to it. There's nothing. We did nothing in eternity past. We only were hostile towards God. We only hated God. We only ultimately killed God, but he still called us to himself through Christ. And for those who he does call to himself, he then conforms to the image of Jesus until he calls each and every one of us home. So conforming grace through which the Holy Spirit conforms us by his power and his grace alone to make us like Jesus. In this passage, that we should be holy and blameless in him, by which the Spirit is our guarantee and inheritance. Read Titus 2, uh, 11 through 14 later today and see how our sanctification and our holiness starts with, is empowered by, and ultimately ends with God's grace. So I'd encourage you all to read Titus 2, 11 through 14 later today and reflect on God's conforming grace. Even think about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means only the Spirit can produce it in us. That which Jesus actually manifested perfectly and showed perfectly, his patience, his kindness, his love, uh, when he was with us and even now. He also gives gifts of grace for the edification and the building up of the church. So even as he conforms us, he gives gifts of grace, um, and he gives us even different uh, unique passions and skill sets for the building up of the church, and those are gifts of grace for his glory uh, and for, for our uh, enjoyment of him. Second time, I'm sorry, our response to God's grace. Number one, just rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in the finished work of Christ. Rejoice in that hope. Rejoice that from eternity past, he called you. He saved you through God's doing uh, by sending Jesus to accomplish our salvation. And even now, you have the Spirit who's our comforter, who's our helper, who's our advocate, who's our guarantee of an inheritance that is never perishable. Secondly, rejoice and rely on the Holy Spirit to do that which He alone is capable of of doing. He alone is capable, and He alone can, and has the power to conform you to the image of Jesus. And so, rest and rely on him ask him for help daily minute by minute i mean work i get so like caught up in myself at work that it's just like okay lord you need to give me eyes to see my coworkers as perishing give me eyes to like actually love this person help me show patience to this person like the lord has to produce this in us this posture of neat asking for his help and by his grace he decides he gives it to us he joyfully gives it to us okay one one question <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep. Um, do you, so this is mostly talking about grace related to salvation. I'm curious, would you describe it as grace God's display of goodness, love to non-believers, and like rain on the just and the unjust, sun on the just and the unjust? Do you describe that as grace? Or you know, in, in a way, his, his love, grace, and mercy, to some extent, all work together, <laughs> uh, especially as it relates to giving common grace, per se, to, to all creation. So, yeah, even, I mean, Jesus speaks to this, like he, he makes rain fall on, the, on the, the just and the unjust. And so, yeah, he does give common grace, even in keeping us alive. Um, and, that, and his love, grace, and mercy work together in that. And again, this is uniquely applied to the elect. Bryson, are you itching for a question, or just your beard is glorious and it needs to be? No itching for questions. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Let's let's finish with mercy. Mercy is God's disposition, or how I thought about it. Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's His eternal posture to give grace and comfort those in misery. So mercy is God's disposition to give grace and comfort those in misery. Let's read Lamentations three. 19 through 33. So let's all go to Lamentations 3, 19 through 33. Yeah, Mike. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion of my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. 
Let him who gives his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him fulfill his insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Thanks, brother. So mercy is, yeah, it's his disposition to give grace and comfort those in misery, especially since the miserable, we need his goodness, love, and grace all the more. <laughs> so you think about the, a person in misery or being miserable, we need God's goodness, his grace, uh, and his love all the more. God's mercy springs from his goodness alone, by which he loves to communicate and do good to the miserable. Uh, and I, and I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, but it's amazing that his disposition, I was thinking about the book Gentle and Lowly, like his disposition is to do good to the miserable. Like it's not a, there's not something that prompts in, like there's not some situation or posture of us that then randomly prompts his his mercy, but no, no, he is merciful. And so his disposition is always to move towards those who are in misery, which is amazing to think. So in and we'll talk about this in daily each morning experiencing and he, him giving us new morning mercies that we can turn to him in our anxiety. We can turn to him when we feel the most miserable and that we we're struggling with doubting, you know, God's goodness and God's grace in our lives that we can turn to him and trust that his disposition is to move towards us um, out of his out of his goodness. So we see applications of his mercy, mercy, and this is oversimplified, but number one, chiefly in salvation, and then secondly, daily each morning, as the um, passage speaks to. So we see his mercy chiefly in salvation, verse 21, but I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Well, what is this hope? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies will never end. He won't cast off forever, as the text says. Well, how will his mercies never end, and how will he not compromise his justice by not casting us away forever? And this is what I was speaking to earlier. Well, there was one who actually waited faithfully before the Lord, as the text says, and brought salvation. He had insults hurled on him, and he was crushed so that we didn't have to be crushed. And so because of Jesus' faithfulness to wait before the Lord and then ultimately to die the death in our place that we deserved— we can have mercy that never ends because God has, for those who are in Christ, forgiven us. And he has sat, he has sat, Jesus alone has satisfied the wrath of God. So the cross of Jesus is where God's grace, mercy, and justice meet together in perfect harmony. Because he bore our sins, God's justice was satisfied. Because he bore our sins, his mercy is extended to us forever. And he also gives us new morning mercies. So he... He applies it chiefly in salvation, but he also gives us new morning mercies. So despite the author of Lamentations daily experiencing much suffering, much grief, much pain, he remembers and rejoices that God's mercies are new each morning. In other words, one way to think about it is God isn't a distant, cold-shouldered God in our suffering. We may experience him as that, but he is not that way. He is not cold and cold, he's not distant or cold-shouldered in our suffering. Rather, he's one that each and every day moves towards us to do good, to show his love, and give us grace. And he does this in specific ways that in his infinite wisdom he knows best. An example of this yesterday, we had to take our little nine-month-old to the ER. Um, by God's grace, I think he's okay right now. You can pray for him. But two ways he even showed us mercy yesterday, which is mercies were new. I get anxious with medical things. He moved towards me in my, my anxiety, and he, he gave me a peace that surpassed all, all understanding. Do I still struggle with it? Yes, absolutely. But he kindly moved towards me in mercy to help me with my anxiety. And he moved towards Ezra in his misery, uh, and that we didn't have to stay at the ER for very long. And so he, he was sustaining his little body so that, um, yeah, he could, uh, we didn't have to be at the hospital very long. Yeah, so God's mercy, he gives, us to it, he gives it to us each and every day in infinitely wise and good ways. Um, uh, lastly, how is God's mercy unlike our mercy? Well, it's not our natural disposition to move towards misery. We want comfort and security. Not, we don't naturally want hardship. Now, by God's grace produced in us, he makes us move towards misery as, as he makes us more like Jesus, because Jesus always did. Um, and then also, there's only so much we can do to help and do, to do good in someone's misery. Like, God is the one who has to ultimately satisfy 
the person in misery's needs, chiefly in Christ, but also in very specific ways that only he can. Our job is to point to the merciful one uh, as we move to, towards those in misery. So our response, number one, praise God for his mercy. Just reflect on his disposition and give him praise. And then look for and remember his mercies each day. So if I don't take the time as much as I should at the end of the day, just to be like, okay, wow, these are all the ways in which you showed me mercy today, which you, you gave me grace when, when I was in misery and the various things I struggle with. And so if we actually take the time to remember and write down, it is a signpost. It's a, it's a way that God can even increase our trust in his goodness, which ultimately is the source for his love, grace, and mercy applied to us in Christ, in which he daily gives us gifts. So we can rejoice in God's goodness. We can rejoice in God's love and his grace and mercy, chiefly in Christ, but also in the very infinitely wise ways in which he extends them to, towards us. So let's go and proclaim this great God whom we serve. We have one minute for questions. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask, we consider God's justice and his mercy at the same time, specifically thinking about like the last verse in that passage that says, for God does not afflict from his heart or grief the children of men. When you think about God's justice and mercy simultaneously, are we to think of a God who executes judgment and then regrets it because he has mercy on people? Or how would you kind of explain the answer to kind of untangling that image? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, I'll try to answer it specifically and if anybody else has thoughts. Um, he, well, we know that, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't regret in the sense that we would probably regret things because, yeah, he's, he's unchanging and he's, he's impassable, which means, you know, he's, he's without passions. And if you didn't uh, listen to that class, it's a, it's a good one. Um, and so when he executes his justice, it's always good because it's always right. When he decides in his sovereign wisdom to show mercy in particular ways, um, there is mercy generally applied when we even think about the new, like new morning mercies, but then there's mercy applied in, in the work of Christ. And so in the work of Christ, he is satisfying his justice. But even when he gives mercy to sinners who never end up being called to him, his justice therefore is satisfied. So either way, his justice is always satisfied in the end. Yep. Does that answer your question? I don't even know if that made sense, but okay. Well, let me pray. Father, thank you for yeah, the fact that you are infinitely good, that you're perfectly good, that in love you chose to send Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to extend grace to yeah, us who are completely unworthy, who hated you, but you, yeah, in your mercy, uh, forgave us. God, would you help us remember your goodness, your love, your grace and mercy each and every day? Would you produce in us increasing trust and obedience? And would you help us proclaim these glorious truths to a world that desperately needs them? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.